Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. We are back on the Oz Network to do a lot of talking about women and women talking because we are men. And men like to talk and men like to talk about women talking. Mansplaining. And we like to mansplaining women talking. That's what we're here to do. We are on day number two of our Academy Awards Oscars series here as we're going through all the Best Picture nominated movies. And we are up to, if you have not guessed, the Fablemans, right? Where they talk. No, no, no. Hold on. The other women. The other women who talk. Women talking, uh, which is a movie that I'm actually very excited to talk about. And Ben, not so much. Because uh, <laughs> one of us is sexist. I am. And it's not me. I didn't, <laughs> He's like, I didn't like Little Women. I didn't like The Favourite. And now we're at uh, women. <laughs> this should be called Little Women Talking About The Favourite. And then I'll just, <laughs> my, while they make dresses. But, but, but just, you know, to... Ben's defense here. He did like Lady Bird several years ago. I did. So he likes one woman movie. Um, and I'm, I don't know. Maybe we'll find out if he likes everywhere all, all at once. Uh, that's kind of a female movie. Uh, but this one does not have Michelle Yeoh. Uh, it has a bunch of other actors. And it's uh, a Canadian movie that's not getting recognized as a Canadian movie. So I'm going to be here to defend it. Um, my name is Colin. And I'm sorry. But I think I might be dying. And my name is Ben. And yes, <laughs> women are talking. So yes, I agree. They the, the movie lives up to its title. At some point in the movie, they did talk and they, said the word yes. Look, I, I've often said that I'm a fan of movies that live up to their title, and <laughs> it has officially been broken today. So um, there were women talking in this movie. They didn't shut up for 90 minutes. <laughs> and that's about all I've got to say. <laughs> I, I got more to say on this movie. I've actually got quite a bit to say on this movie. Um, I don't know how much response you'll have, but uh, I guess before we even get into it, uh, this movie, I I just heard about it. I think around the time of the, maybe it was the Toronto Film Festival that it got screened. And I should say this movie is being categorized as a Hollywood movie. Uh, simply because uh, the producers are American. Francis McDormand, one of them. Brad Pitt, another. Both of them like women. Both of them like women talking. Uh, but everything else about this movie, outside of you know a lot of the cast and the producers, is Canadian. I mean, the the director, Sarah Pauly, I mean, you probably are familiar with her as an actress, um, at least in a couple of things she's done in American movies. Uh, she starred in the, uh, the Zack Snyder movie Dawn of the Dead years ago. Uh, but she's like... A longtime star here in Canada. She um, uh, had a TV show that was actually a really big show for, uh, ran for way longer than most Canadian sh shows usually run, Road to Avonlea, which is kind of like a historical um, 
drama. I don't even know what you categorize that. I probably saw half of an episode once, but uh, she was a pretty big star here as uh, an actress. And I guess right around the time that she did Dawn of the Dead, which was like the last major acting role she did, she got into directing. And I think it was her first movie that she directed, got nominated for a couple Academy Awards, despite being the small Canadian movie. And since then, she's pretty much established herself as one of the most successful directors here in Canada, uh, but uh, hadn't really made anything for Hollywood. Now she's made Women Talking, and it gets nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards, including Best Picture, uh, and her for Best Screenplay, but uh, nothing for Director, which uh, I'm sad about. But, I mean, I have more familiarity with her, especially as a filmmaker. She's kind of one of the more, uh, I guess you could say, unpredictable filmmakers in Canada, because I don't think many people expected, like, a teen actress from the 90s to go on to become one of our biggest directors. But uh, even aside from that, the, the it's based on a book that's written by a pretty much local author from here in Manitoba, uh, loosely based on a true story. And despite it being living up to the title about women talking, like, I was very into this movie, and I was surprised how invested I was in the movie and Jamie as well. I mean, she, she didn't want to see this with me. Uh, I, I gave her a couple of choices and this was her last choice. And then it basically came down to, well, this is the one that we can actually get to for the time that somebody's willing to watch our kids. This is the one we can actually get to. She's like, okay, fine. I'll see it. And she absolutely loved the movie, but uh, you, I'm getting the impression, a little bit of a different reaction. First of all, I'll just say Sarah Polly, no idea who she is. She was in Baba the movie. Um, as young Celeste, so I might have heard a voice back then. Um, yeah, that's about all I can see here that maybe I've, I've seen. Look, I just want to start out by saying that, like, this is a heavy movie in terms of it pretty much is like straight away, hey, everyone, these women are being assaulted. And it's like, oh, fuck, okay, where are we going with this? And it's pretty, like, harrowing and everything. But it's, it's, it's just boring. Like, I just, like, I, 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 I honestly don't know if I, like, I lost attention within five minutes. Then Ben Wishaw showed up. I'm like, oh, there he is. And then basically my phone became more entertaining. Every time I looked up, they were talking. And every, <laughs> they were in the same barn. They were talking about that little thing they drew on the table where it's like, do we stay? Do we go? God will hate us. Do I stay or do I go? <laughs> and, and then they're just like going on and on and on and on. And like, 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 look, I, I, I don't know what to add because like legitimately, I think this is the most boring Oscar one. And I, I didn't even watch all oh. of the favorite um, little women, eh, but like, ah, just, I'm sorry. I just, I couldn't, it was just boring. I was just so bored in this movie. And I feel bad because it's deep in terms of the topic and it's, it's, it's wrong and these women should be fighting. And, yeah, women, talk all you want to get out of it. But, like, it's just, I don't know. <laughs> well, like, you, I, was this the one I think you mentioned when we talked about the whale about this being a play? Because this is a play. They're just all in a room for, like, an hour and a half. Like, this is a play. This isn't a movie. I mean, this was a book first, and was I don't think they made it, it. I don't think it was a play. I think it was a, it was a book. Should be a play. Um, and and uh, so the author, uh, I want to give a little bit of explanation here about, I guess, the real story this is kind of based on, because the, the movie mostly covers the real story, although this movie is sort of a fictionalized account. Like of, Amish? 
Like, is that what they are? Well, they're Mennonites. So that's one of the things I wanted to explain. So Mennonites, uh, especially here, like here in Manitoba, massive Mennonite population uh, in a lot of like Western Canada. It's very hard to pin it down. I think this is what's uh, important, not just get the impression this is what Mennonite people are, because Mennonite is such a broad term here that like there are people who just look at Mennonite as their heritage, the way that people will say, yes, I am like for me, I'm Swedish. I am Russian slash Georgian or whatever. You know, other people will say I'm Jamaican. I'm this people here in Canada, especially Manitoba, just identify as being Mennonite. Um, Jamie's stepdad says, yeah, I'm Mennonite. My brother-in-law, which in turn, my nephews say, yeah, we're Mennonite. Uh, it, it has nothing to do with this type of society where they they decide they want this is sort of like one section of like Mennonite population of like oh we're gonna live very simplistic lifestyle Amish like lifestyle but like Mennonite here is such a broad term that somebody could just be identifying as Mennonite because that's what their background is and the author of the book who's from Steinbach that's about a I don't know a thirty minute drive from my house here. Uh, she basically has made her career writing books on the Mennonite population. And there, there will be one book like this that is focused on what you would almost deem like a Mennonite cult, you know, like this this Amish type living, but more cult-like. And then other books just about, oh, this is a Mennonite person who identifies as Mennonite, but they are your average, regular, everyday person. So it's such a broad term, but uh, I guess the real story that this is based on was there was a colony, which was called the Manitoba Colony, which... I was thankful to read up that it wasn't necessarily a bunch of Manitobans who said, we're going to move to Bolivia and then assault women and try to trick them into staying. But they just, through however many decades, the original people were Manitobans, they called themselves Manitoba colony. But uh, the real story was that this did happen. There was this colony and there were, I think, three guys who were breaking in and assaulting women and stuff like that. And uh, it, it became this big controversy and everything. Uh, but this movie is sort of taking those events and saying, imagine what it would have been like if the women had just had an opportunity to kind of band together and decide what they're going to do. And I think that that's what I find most interesting about this movie is that it's it's not taking the obvious approach that, what a Hollywood movie you expect would do, which is like, oh, we're just going to stand our ground and we're going to take our pitchforks to the men, which I mean, that's part of the backstory of this movie is somebody took a pitchfork to a guy. Uh, so I want to watch that. Where, why was it? Was there somebody getting stabbed <laughs> to death with a pitchfork? I'd be watching that. Yeah, that's all in the backstory. There, there's actually, in the, apparently in the book, there's other stuff that didn't make the movie with like, well, that would have been pretty sensationalized. But uh, but I, I found it fascinating to just watch them, I guess, logically running through things. Because, I mean, not even talk about sexual assault, but I'm sure everybody's been in a dramatic situation in their life where they kind of had to like, oh, do I, what do I do in this situation? And I just found it fascinating, like them running through all the options saying, yeah, we could stay here and do that. But what are our other options? Could we just leave? And then the little details they'd get into, like, hey, this was three guys who did this. There are, you know, I don't know, 50 other guys here who did not assault women. Do we trust them? And then ultimately it's, it's sort of about, well, we're just not at the point where we know who we can trust. So let's put this massive plan together. And I've, I just found it fascinating watching how all these decisions were made, which really what the movie is made up on. Like, how do you make these decisions? And everybody's sort of presenting a different point of view. Look, I may have been bored shitless, but I can't fault the performances in this movie. I mean... Oh, they're great. I They're all fantastic. And I think, you know, for the bits I paid attention to, you, you can't fault that. 
I think the interesting thing I'm finding, and at the time of recording this, I'm five and a half movies in, uh, basically through them. And it's it's interesting the balance between the movies where you've kind of got very complicated, over-the-top films mixed with the most simple premise of movies. You've got mm-hmm. this one, it's a bunch of women talking. You've got another yeah. one, two men on an island who don't like each other. <laughs> like, I mean, it's it's like... And and one about a kid who wants to make movies. Um, like it's just it's it's some are so simple and others are fucking rocks in deserts and raccoonies and hot dog fingers. Um, so <laughs> and like, Top Gun also falls into Top that Gun. simple category. Yeah. yeah. And hi, I'm Tom Cruise, and I'm also in this case. You are Tom. Um, yeah, you're right. Uh, and then aliens and blue. Well, are they aliens? Avatar aliens? They are aliens, I guess. Yes, they are. They're not from Earth, so yes. And Kate Blanchett. Um, but I. <laughs> it's but like I mean, this is this is why I feel bad in this episode because I feel like I don't want to say this is like the I'm throwing shit, I'm angry, and all this kind of stuff. You know, so this isn't Titanic where you know I'm so passionately in love with it, and you're so passionately against it. I just honestly was so bored in this movie that I barely paid attention and I'm glad that you're passionate about it. I'm glad you like this movie. That's great. But like, I guess there's always one every Oscar season that I'm going to be here. I mean, I haven't watched Tar yet. You're the one that's the one I think you said you worried about me for that one. But like, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't even know where to go with this because it's like, I was trying to put a comparison. Like, and I guess like we all can have movies that like, if it's kind of closely associated with where we're from, we can relate to it more, family, all that sort of stuff that, yeah, you might be a little bit more connected to it. I don't think you ever ended up watching Knit Tram, for example. No, um, yeah. And, you know, maybe I get something out of that more than you will because of, of the subject matter and, and everything along those lines, whereas you might watch it and go, oh, that, that was odd and weird and whatever, whereas, you know, I lived a, lived that sort of movie in a weird way. Not well, it wasn't Martin Bryant, but like, as in, like, I, you know what I mean? <laughs> what did you do, Ben? <laughs> just shut up a penal colony, you know, when I was 28. But I don't know where I'm going with this. I just, I feel bad because you like this movie. And I don't usually feel bad when you like movies and I don't because I'm usually like, yeah, fuck you. Like, I'm right, you're wrong. But like, I just was bored. I just was bored. I was so bored in this movie. So bored. Well, so there's one thing I want to add in this. This isn't the type of movie I would normally say, I want to go out of my way to see this on a big screen, you know? Well, you saw every once in a while, didn't you? You actually went and paid for it. Yeah, we did. We paid for it. Uh, but every once in a while, you'll find a movie that's very small and very low budget where it does lend itself to being on a big screen so much more. And it, the this whale. is it, the, the whale's a good experience. Yeah. Uh, and, and very similar to that, I think one of the, the things that really worked in this movie on a big screen that I would say probably more so than just watching it on a a laptop is uh, the performances and Silence of the Lambs is a movie that uh, I was too young to see when it was in theaters, but uh, it was like last year, I think where they were showing it for a week here. And I'm like, well, I'm going to see Silence of the Lambs on the big screens. I never would have expected it would have had that much impact. And so much of it was just being up close and the up closes where you can appreciate a performance more work so much better on a big screen. That's what this movie has. Cause I mean, all the performances this movie are fantastic. Here's where I'll feel bad. I I feel like Ben Wishaw is the best actor in this movie, and he's the only guy in the movie. So Sexist. this is like when we did this is like when we did Black Panther, and you're like, oh, there was one actor that I really liked in the movie, and it was the one white guy. Yeah. Um, but but uh, but everybody else is great in this movie. I mean, I, I thought Rooney Mara especially. Uh, I've never really paid much attention to her because I mean, you know, even though she's kind of gotten all the critical acclaim between her and her sister, I couldn't. Uh, 
my experience what you're talking about women talking was trying to watch the girl with the dragon tattoo i'm like i am so bored i can't finish this movie it was probably more the favorite i don't think i ever finished the movie uh but i never quite got the big deal about her but i mean she is so good in this movie as well uh there's one throwaway actor in here and that's francis mcdormand i mean she's one of the producers on this movie she's kind of the reason that this movie got made but is it a cameo? Is there a purpose for her being in this movie? Is it basically, I'm Francis McDormand. I've won every Academy Award I've ever been nominated for. I'm just going to see if I can show up for two minutes at the beginning of the end of a movie and try to get a nomination. You know how much I paid attention to this movie, Collins. I literally thought she was in the whole thing because when I was watching it, there's Francis McDormand. I was zooming in or whatever. And I also thought she got nominated for an Oscar for this movie because I just assumed she's like the Meryl Streep of... Now, like, oh, Francis McDormand's in a movie, nominated. Like, it's just kind of, there she is. And I we, I like Francis McDormand. I mean, the one we did, Three Billboards, like, she was brilliant in that movie. Oh, yeah. Um, and from what I saw of her in this movie, thinking she was in the whole thing, she was good. Um, but, um, yeah, Rudy Mara, like, well, she's in the social network, wasn't she? Um, yeah. I'm seeing here she was in ER for a couple of episodes. Good for her. I'm a massive Kate Mara fan. Um, yeah. Who isn't? I, I don't know, maybe Rooney, maybe they don't like each other. I have no idea. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I don't really have it. I've never seen the Dragon Tattoo movie. I always go to call that the girl with the pearl earring. It's, they're different things completely. <laughs> I, I don't know why. They but both like, have girls in them. <laughs> but, Ben, like, this might be the only thing outside of Bond I've seen Ben Wishore in. Um, really? Really? Is that true? He's got an American accent in this movie, right? Um, well, Canadian accent. Sorry, apologies, Canadian. Uh, I, I I appreciate that because apparently they they said no, you're all gonna do a Canadian accent in this movie, and all the actors had to learn that you know hard to distinguish between a Canadian and American, but specifically still Canadian accent. I I was in Cloud Atlas. Um, could I remember him in Cloud Atlas? No, uh, but he was in Cloud Atlas. So there you go. Um, Never saw Paddington. Uh, I sadly have not seen Paddington, although I hear Paddington <laughs> Two is amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everybody hears. I'll that. see the voice of Paddington. Okay, well there you go. Yeah, good to see how much I pay attention. And we've talked about him being in Layer Cake, right? Like you've talked about that before, with the fact that he's in Layer Cake with Daniel Craig mm-hmm. before they were ever in Bond. Um, could I tell you anyone else in this movie? No. Um, Claire Foy. We saw her in Last uh, First Man. Oh, because we all remember that movie. Uh, well, I mean, she she's she was the star of The Crown, which I've never seen The Crown, but I mean, I think most people are at least familiar with her. I, and she also did the uh, the second Dragon Tattoo movie. You know, it's funny. It's so random that you mentioned First Man. I was having a discussion the other day about like, have you ever seen you know two movies in a day like at a cinema? And I was telling the story that yeah, when I was in New Zealand, we saw Johnny English three and that forgettable First Man movie. Um, and I'm like, oh, twice in like two days, First Man's been mentioned. Why was that movie bad? That shouldn't have been bad. That movie. I know. Oh, that's disappointing. Disappointing. Have you ever have you ever gone above? To, I've one time, I've, multiple times, I've seen two movies in a day. But one time, I've seen three movies in a day. Although it was like three within a twenty four hour period, because basically they had like a midnight screening of Rocky, mm. and I went to go see that, and I was off the next day, and then I saw The Constant Gardener with Ray Fiennes and Rachel Weisz, who and then who I saw didn't see Ray- that three times in a day. Oh. And, and and then I saw Revenge of the Sith the same day for like the, I don't know, 11th or 12th the, time. The, I think the reason why this came up, I was talking to Casey about this the other day and it was, um as in my friend, not your son. Um, 
Excuse me, not in the background. <laughs> Stop but, talking to my children, man. <laughs> I can't help it. But like we used to have back in the day on like, there was a public holiday, like a long weekend. They would have movie marathons where it would say, start at 10 o'clock. They would show like the latest blockbuster and then show like two or three. Oh, yeah. Run to like 6 a.m. I was way too young to ever go to them. But no, the, the three that I remember seeing in, a, in twice in one day was I saw uh, World Trade Center and then walked out of it and saw Devil Wears Prada. Um, I saw walked the, out as in when it finished, when or it walked finished. out as in you walked out of the movie. I'm like, yeah. oh, I know what happened. I, the plane I hits the you building. Like that one. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, I've never seen World Trade Center since, but I remember liking it. Um, uh, First Man and Johnny English, but I went to two like I was in New Zealand and we went to like two different cinemas, so it wasn't there. And of course, I saw No Time to Die twice on opening day in Australia. That's a, that's one time I've seen the same movie twice in the same day. But mm. here, um. Fun fact, a shout out to the uh, Orpheum Cinema here that showed the room with Greg Sestro that we recently had on. Uh, They're doing a lot of things at the moment, like showing marathons. So you can go watch all five Twilight movies in one day. Um, You can go watch all Lord of the Rings movies in one week, I think. Um, And (laughs) in June, they're doing the original Star Wars trilogy back to back. I have never seen A New Hope or Return of the Jedi on the big screen. So I'm uh, very tempted to go see all three back to back. Oh, so jealous. I may fly out there to see it. Do it. Um, anyway, we've been talking. We're talking about Star Wars. <laughs> I, I, just a few more shout outs I want to give to this movie. Um, there are some scenes in this movie that are very simple, you know, between like Rooney Mara and Ben Wishaw, kind of have like this love story thing I was gonna going say, on. They're in love, right? Like that's the bit. Yeah, so, but like they're not hooked up, but uh, because there was this whole assault thing. And Ben Wishaw's character, I think, is also one of the most interesting things about the movie because you don't get his backstory. And I had to read up on the novel to see some of the backstory that's not even specified in the movie. Um, But uh, I mean, there's one scene at the end of this movie, which I won't spoil exactly what it's about, but it's basically you you go through this very intense sequence of they've decided what they're going to do. They're, they're making all these secret plans. They're like, okay, we got to meet exactly this time. And it, it kind of like picks up the action in a movie like women talking. There's a bit of action. And then you get these scenes at the end where Ben Wishaw is just saying goodbye. Cause he's the one guy who, who decides to stick around and his reasons for sticking around too. I'm like, you wouldn't expect this to be in a Hollywood movie, but this is why it works. It's a little bit more realistic. I can't just say, oh, I'm going to drop this. Somebody needs to be here to protect the innocent people who, you know, uh, are now going to be left alone. And like the emotion out of like his final scenes, I think is one of the reasons why I say he has the best performance in this movie. And another reason why I actually like this movie is that it, it's, it's sort of turning things around a little bit where you expect a movie like this, where all these women have been sexually assaulted and everything. And then, basically been told, oh, you're just imagining things. This didn't actually happen. They're drugged and all that. You'd expect them to be a lot more emotional. A couple of the women have like some emotional outbursts, but most of them are just like, calm down. You know, we all went through the same thing and we're holding it together. And I love that. That, that and by the end of the movie, the most emotional anybody gets is the one guy who decides to stick around. And he's the guy who did nothing wrong too. Is um this set in modern day? Or is this like... It's set, I guess, they supposedly have this set about 10 years ago, around the time that the real events took place, even though this is like a fictionalized version of it. It's set about 10 years ago. Because it was, um, I first thought this was like set way in the olden days, but then they played um, they played Dream Believer by the Monkees or something like that. Believer, so yeah. I'm thinking like, oh, this is like in the 50s then. Um, but like, yeah, I guess I zoned out enough to realize was this set in modern times or not. But um. Mm-hmm. Again, like I just assumed they were Amish. Um, apologies <laughs> to the Canadians. Um, well, see, that, that, that's a weird thing here is that if you see, like sometimes I have a hard time to see, we don't really have Amish people here, but we have Mennonites and then Hutterites who, 
the Hutterites, you pretty much always identify as being like this. Uh, although you'll see Hutterites in Walmart. It's, it's a weird thing. You walk through Walmart and you're like, oh, Hutterite or Mennonite? What do you think? You know, like, you'll, you'll still see them out, like going to stores and stuff like that. But it, there, there are many different things like this that you'll see all around rural Manitoba. I was going to say, is this like a, a Manitoba thing? Because like, I mean, I lived in BC and I don't think I'd ever heard of this. Like, is this a thing that only is in certain parts of Canada? Yeah, I, well, I, reading up just a little bit on Mennonites, because again, if you hear Mennonite here, you're like, oh, this person's Mennonite the same way another person would say, oh, I'm you know, Australian, right? Uh, but uh, Mennonite population is very much centered, I guess, in central to western Canada, probably doesn't stretch as far into BC. So like but, how Mormons, Utah, you think Mormons. Yeah, exactly. But, but, but I, I guess the big state, difference, obviously. yeah, but I guess the big difference being if you say Mormons, you know that they're all you know, these very underwear wearing, but Mennonites are like regular, like Jamie's stepdad. You would just think this is regular guy watches football, watches hockey, you but, know, but, but, and but, but, he I mean, just says I'm Mennonite. But, but like, I think like when you were explaining that, I was honestly thinking of Mormons because, you, you know, most Mormons are regular Mormons, are regular people. Like, you know, you sure they might wear underwear. You don't see it, but like, but then you've got those secular Mormons who the, the, the cliche of like, they've got seven wives and they do this mm -hmm. and they do that. Like they exist, but like, it's not, you know, I mean, Mennonite will go even further than that though, where it's like, it's, you're not even identifying Mennonite as my religion. You're identifying Mennonite is my ethnic heritage. So you'll have regular person who doesn't, you know, worship anything and just says, Oh, I'm Mennonite. And food is a weird thing because Mennonite, there are so many Mennonite people. Like I would say half of the people that I know probably say that they're Mennonite. And it, for them, it's like, oh, I'm Mennonite because this is the food that my parents fed me, which I've heard people, I, I, I don't care for Mennonite food, but I've heard people describe Mennonite food who love it, who basically say it's bland, it's tasteless, it's full of fat, and I love it. And I'm like, I don't get it at all. I was in um Kentucky and I remember we were driving somewhere and, we, like there were Amish people, like they were in the little horse and buggy and dri driving. Mm. I was like, oh, cool, like they're real. Um, but like, yeah, but it's like it's some some of that stuff is like very foreign to someone like me who mm -hmm. we don't have that type of. Australia is not a very religious country, but even our religion is predominantly Christian. Like it's little things like when I was in New York, there are Jewish people in Australia, but a very small percentage. And you know, we had. Um, not a mosque. What's um a Jewish place of worship called? Synagogue. Synagogue. Thank you. There was a synagogue in Hobart, but like it was sort of very, you had to know where it was and whatever. But like in New York, like you see the the very, um, again, forgive my ignorance. I can't remember the, the type of Jewish uh, section of the Jewish faith, how they, you know, they've got the hat and they've got the beard. Um, oh, like Orthodox. Orthodox. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, So you see a lot of that. And, you, and again, things that, as an Australian, we never see like that's just mm -hmm. not something you see. But in New York, it's very common. So like this is where this type of stuff to me is very foreign. And most Australians listening would be like, yeah, this is not something we see. But for yourself, you see him in Walmart. So fuck it. Yeah. Sure. Well, and I think that's that's one of the other reasons why I think, you know, because when you were saying, oh, well, you have a little bit more of a local connection and everything like this, what I'm seeing in this movie is foreign to me. You know, you know, people like this exist, but you don't really necessarily interact with them much. Um, a good, when you said Jewish, that actually probably clued in more to me that I would consider what Mennonites are like here to be, if somebody says they're Mennonite, it probably is more similar to when they say they're Jewish. 
they're not necessarily referring to, you know, I go to synagogue, I wear the yarmulke or whatever. They're just saying, oh, yeah, my ancestors were Jewish or whatever. And they identify as that. But I think because you do occasionally, I wouldn't even say occasionally, I don't think you could ever go into Walmart and not see somebody who's other Hutterite or Mennonite. You see these people and now you're seeing this different story. And I think what what I really appreciate about the story is they're not going out there to slander the Mennonite people who choose to live like this. They're saying this happened in this colony. This is how these people fictionally could have responded to it. And it's just sort of a fascinating look at like, how would somebody deal with this type of conflict and what choices, what what would they do? Like one of the most interesting in this movie is when they say, listen, if we decide to leave, that's the whole tagline of the movie. Like, what is it? Uh, stay and fight, do nothing and um, leave or whatever. And they're saying, okay, so who do we take with us? Do we take the young men who are like 13 years old or 14 years old? And then you have Ben Wishaw going through this whole explanation of, you know, 14, 15 year olds, you know, they're still moldable, but they're at a kind of like a dangerous stage. So you got to be careful with that. And those choices where it's like, it's not easy. Like that's what was fascinating about this movie is that there's no necessarily right answer to this movie. It's like, well, this is what they would have to do. Two things, weird comparison. You'll laugh at me, but there's a point to this. Um, <laughs> birthday candles, Deborah Messing on Broadway. Um, <laughs> there's a laugh. Like that, like this is where I see this as a play. Because it, it, the weird thing I have, like with birthday candles, with Deborah Messing on Broadway, is like that's a it's a pretty heavy play, even though you know it's got comedy in it. From what I saw of this, this had nothing funny in it, but like it was was deep. It, it kind of got very emotional, and sort of the way it was put out there, and like I could see birthday candles being more of a movie than this. Um, mm. But like, <laughs> like did Miriam Toes like when she wrote this book? She's like, she's, she's got it all done. She's like, oh, fuck, this is subject matter. It's going to be made into a movie. Title. Fuck, all right. Um, I don't know. Uh, women versus the Mennonites. Um, you know, fighting, you, you know, the man. Uh, you know, oh, fuck, I don't know. What, what, what do they do in this movie? They talk and they're women. Uh, women talking, that'll do. Like, it's just it's the most <laughs> laziest title ever. Like, again, I'm all for movies that are literal. But, like, think about it. Like, Snakes on a Plane is a cool title because there are snakes and they're on a plane, like fucking sells a cocaine bear. Like <laughs> it's a bear on cocaine. Simple. And like, this is not me saying that women talking is not on the same level as snakes on a plane or cocaine bear, <laughs> but like legitimately, like if this was the opposite, if this was called men talking, it's still shit. Like in terms of the title, like women fighting, like, you know, women, I don't know, discussing empowerment, like sounds better. Women talking. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, it's not the most catchy title ever, but you know what you're getting into, I guess. Uh, no false promotion. Um, When's the old male remake of Women Talking? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the sequel. They get back to like, where do the women go? I don't know. Let's talk about it. <laughs> what do you think could have happened? <laughs> the sequel is all the men sitting around going, shit, where are the women? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who was the one um, who attacked it? Which three of you did it? <laughs> get your dicks out. Pop it off. But uh, one thing, uh, I guess, with the nominations again, it's only nominated for two awards, which, you know, we talked about that yesterday. You know, the blind side kind of broke the whole mold of 10 movies have to be nominated for Best Picture because it only got nominated for Best Actress and Best Picture. This one's only nominated for Best Screenplay. We talked about Avatar. Well, it's only nominated from technical awards, and some of the technical awards are ones that, like, the Suicide or Suicide Squad could get nominated for. So, like, does that mean you're worthy of a Best Picture? Um 
adapted screenplay, I think this is considered right now the front runner for adapted screenplay. And uh, I got to look up to see what the uh, the competition is that it's up Tom against. Cruise. Uh, well, uh, Top Gun. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's that's a weird thing, though, where the Academy has these rules where Glass Onion and Top Gun, they have these rules where, oh, if it's a sequel, it's automatically considered an adapted screenplay. But it's like, but it's not. I mean, you've got a character and you're writing an original screenplay about it. Um, yeah, I mean, competition, All Quiet on the Western Front, Glass Onion, Living, uh, Top Gun and Women Talking. I think this is considered the front runner at this point. Um, I mean, I would be all for it. I think the script is fantastic. I think some of the dialogue's great. I think that how the script... I even told Jamie while I'm watching this movie, I was like, this is like a masterclass on how you write a screenplay, how you fit exposition in. And I, if you're going to give credit to this movie, one thing, let's give credit to the fact that like the exposition in this movie is so expertly placed. It's not like, all right, we want to discuss the fact that we were all assaulted and this is how it happened. Like it, it, They fitted in bits and pieces throughout the movie where... I guess if you're paying close enough attention, you get it. So maybe you won't agree with me, but uh... I wasn't paying enough attention, Colin. <laughs> I thought Francis McDormand was in the whole movie. <laughs> Come on. I mean, this this movie's not going to win Best Picture, um, but adapted screenplay, I think it is considered the front runner. Those are really the only two categories which you can talk about here. Um, I mean, you're going to bin this movie. Yes. <laughs> I think I'm going to answer for you the first time. I'm a hundred percent buying this movie. I loved it. I didn't expect to love it, and I loved it. Um, Jamie, for the record, said, well, tell Ben he's wrong because I'm buying this movie. Uh, so she got angry about it. She was a woman who was talking about how angry she was that you didn't like this movie. I think she even said it's like, yeah, but doesn't Ben just like like really dumb movies? And I actually came to your defense and I'm like, we've had some pretty smart movies on in the past that Ben didn't bin. Uh, I, but like, I surprise you sometimes with some of my acquired. Two thousand one. I, well, I, I was literally about to raise that. Like, I do you. I, everyone on this planet would have bet good money that I would have been two thousand and one, a space odyssey. But I, I rented it. I think from memory, and it was just you know solid movie. Um, and like Nid Tram's a bit powerful and a bit you know like a arty party. Um, uh, the whale's not exactly like you know popcorn die another day style movie. Can I just add? Yes, I am beating it. Um, it is at the bottom of my ranking, um, even below Avatar. Top of mine. Um, I, I I know we generally do our predictions on the final episode, but can we please maybe just cut this right now and not do best picture? Can we please do best animated short instead? Because have you seen the movies that are nominated here? The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse, The Flying Sailor, Ice Merchants, My Year of Dicks, and... <laughs> And Ostrich told me the world is fake, and I think I believe it. I want to do the oh. best animated short film category. Come on. That, that, and Ostrich told me one is an Australian. I know, I was about to say. It's a, I just looked it up. It's Australian. So, um, Oh, exciting. I know. You know, you know what? I, this is completely off base. And we got The Flying Sailor is a Canadian one, so maybe we should do that oh. category. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of annoyed that like this movie, the Canadian Screen Awards, just came out. And in the past, they've always like, okay, we're going to nominate this. Before they were the Canadian Screen Awards, I think they're like the Geminis or something like that. We'll nominate this movie or at least this person if they're Canadian. So Sarah Pauly could get a Best Adapted Screenplay or a Best Director nomination. And this movie was deemed ineligible simply because, well, the producers are American, which has never really happened before. So when I looked at like the Canadian Screen Award nominations that came out, I'm like, I've literally heard of none of these and Women Talking probably would have won almost everything on here. But uh it was kind of disappointed this is not considered a Canadian movie. It's like literally everything about the Canadian movie is Canadian. The entire crew is Canadian. 
the movie is about Canadians. It's just you have some American and British actors and your producers are France McDormand and Brad Pitt. See, like, we kind of do like the opposite. Like we try and claim things as Australian when it's just like one person. <laughs> like because like we ours are now the actor awards. They used to be called the AFIs. And what they generally do with them now is they'll have like the Australian ceremony like at the end of the year and then they'll have the, what they call the Actor Awards International. So to spoil this in terms of like we're obviously releasing this on the 2nd of March. We are recording this on the 23rd of February. So basically the day of recording this, our Actor International Awards are tomorrow. But by the time of hearing this, they would have been already done. Whereas our uh, Australian ones were held at the end of last year. So for for example, Elvis won Best Film at the Australian Actor Awards, yet in the Actor International Awards, Elvis is nominated for Best Film. So which is it, Actor Awards? Like, we're just claiming it's an Australian movie because Baz Luhrmann made it? Like, I mean, I'm sorry, Elvis is not an Australian movie. Like, it is not an Australian movie. But we take it as one because Baz Luhrmann's name's on it. So, yeah. This is a new thing for the Canadians, too, because uh, a couple of years ago, the Brie Larson movie Room won Best Picture for the Canadian Stream Awards, even though the only Canadian connection to that, it was a Canadian-American co-production or something like that. Like, oh, we have a couple of Canadian producers, so we're going to say it's a Canadian movie. But now they're basically getting so strict on it. But uh, anyways, um. I would be happy if Top Gun Maverick made its way into the ACTAs or the Canadian Screen Awards because that's what we're well, going to talk about tomorrow. Uh, the the ACTA, actually, no, we're not. We're talking about everything all at once tomorrow. Oh, we're better. talking about everything everyone wants. Uh, Look, I'm uh, jumping the gun. I want to talk about Tom Cruise it's so much. Mul- it's a multiverse. We we can do whatever. Oh, that's but, right. um, <laughs> Top Gun Maverick is nominated for Best Film at the 12th ACTA International Awards. Ooh. So, yes. But everything, everywhere, all at once tomorrow. Then this is the longest I think I've waited to talk about any movie on I this list. I thought you did this last year for some reason. I thought reason. we did too. Yeah. I mean, because Jamie and I saw this movie twice. We saw it when it first came out. I think it was like in March or April. And then they re-released it in theaters like in the end of August. And we went to go see it again. Um, I mean, I, I absolutely love this movie. It's it's crazy. It's wild. You sort of alluded to in the last episode, you're still not sure how to feel about this, which in a way is almost the way I felt the first time I saw it, where I'm like, I don't know whether this is just a fun movie or if it actually is brilliant. And then the more time passed, I'm like, this movie is brilliant. And I'm pulling for this to win, like everything it can win. Just quickly, because uh, we're nearly out of time. Props to Brendan Fraser. Oh, we even mentioned him several times. How did it take this long? I know. Look, yeah, I, I I still don't know what to say about everything, everywhere, all at once because I don't know if I've ever had a raft of emotions in a movie like that in a long time because there were... Yeah, I'm not even going to spoil it. I don't want to spoil it until we do the episode, but it's just... it's Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about it uh, because I do remember you bringing it up last year when you randomly said, oh, I saw this movie, blah, 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 and it might be the most unique film I've ever seen. And, and I was like, oh, I've never heard of it. Um, so we get to talk about Michelle Yeoh. So yes, yo yo is yo. This is our first Michelle Yeoh. Well, tomorrow never dies over on Double R Seven. Um, oh, but here, uh, Shang Chi. I guess we did a review for. Um. Oh yeah. Yeah. Close. Yeah. She was sort of in that. Um. That will be tomorrow. I'll finally get to talk about it. We'll get to talk about hot dog fingers and Rakakuni and <laughs> a lot of emotion. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you'd like Rakakuni. Uh, <laughs> not even my favorite thing in the movie, but I do love Rakakuni. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Michelle Yeoh oh. and Kiyu Kwan. Oh, short round is back. This oh. is so exciting. 
uh, coming tomorrow and then the rest of the best pictures after that. And I don't even know what day this is dropping on, but I'm sure we talked about 24 recently it's or we'll talk Thursday about it with day We are talking about it. Get next. ready for the next 24 episode. It's going to be a whopper. And I was I'm just, excited. Uh, just also uh, quickly, uh, if you're a fan of Australian Survivor and you like our Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame reaction episode is out today. Colin, what did you think of this year's Australian Hall of Fame? Uh, no, it was fantastic. Matt Dyson was so overdue to get in the Hall of Fame, and I'm glad it finally happened. Colin, you have more chance of getting into the Australian Survivor Hall of Fame <laughs> than Matt Dyson does. Just saying. Uh, yeah, so join us for all the rest of the movies and then check out Matt Dyson not getting into the Hall of Fame again this year. And Ben Waterworth not getting in the Hall of Fame. Unless he did. Maybe he did. It's I a Ben Waterworth Band-Aid project. He's <laughs> it. <laughs> it's the, it's the uh, Lifetime Achievement Award of it's Ben Waterworth. Sponsored, but it's the Ben Waterworth Hall of Fame. You know, everyone, everyone every year wins a Benny. It's a Ben Award. It's like, you know, that's a little picture of me. The Bennies. Oh, I don't like the sound the of that. The Bennies. Join us for more Benny talk. Um, my name is Colin, talking. And my name is Ben, and a woman. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time. like exclusive stuff yes sir do you like having access to your favorite podcast hosts in a way like never before yeah absolutely do you wish you had access to our old survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online oh yeah if you answered yes to one two or all of those questions then get excited because the oz network is now on patreon That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made.